March into spring with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered 500 megabits internet for $39.99 per month, plus a $100 gift card and price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with a free modem, free installation, and free Wi-Fi your way home. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and manage user access for all connected devices with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires May 6, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I am Ira Madison III, and I am back from Barcelona. I'm Louis Fortel, and do the viewers, aka listeners, even remember us? It's been two weeks. I'm self-conscious. <laughs> we are a podcast. We are called Keep It. I want to shout out the people in my Instagram DMs who were like, what happened to the episode? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe you should listen to the entire episode where we told you that we would be back in two weeks. In the episode, we said we won't be here. So using the clues in the episode, think ahead. Anyway, we're back. It sort of felt, maybe it felt to people like when you would watch TV um, in our era, you know, sure. millennial millennial era of growing up watching TV, and you actually sometimes wouldn't know if there'd be a new episode of the TV show you were watching the next right. week. Yeah, you, you would basically have to decode like the um, commercials on TV. Like uh, uh, even sometimes they would kind of fool you. They'd be like, this week on Men Behaving Badly, like, oh, blank guest stars. And you're like, wait a minute. Did that person guest star before? Swoozy Kurtz, were you already on this episode? And then you're like, wait, it's a rerun. Like, you would have to figure it out yourself. <laughs> Men behaving bad. I don't know why that was the first <laughs> Thursday night fail. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen the British version of that show? No. I, I mean, which, by the way, it so makes sense that it was a British show because that's such a British title. I never put it together. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine um, any NBC execs in 96, you know, coming up with men behaving badly unless they were like, oh, this is the name of a British show. Men behaving badly. Men behaving a little cheeky. No, and, and here in the States, it'd be called like studs or stags or something. <laughs> um, it's actually funny now that we're in this era where um, most shows that I feel like are adapted from a lot of foreign things now. Like, like, it just happens all the time now. But you sort of never know. Whereas they used to be very obvious about we're just carbon copying, like, a British show. And then it'd be awful. Like, coupling. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I, now a bunch of memories are flooding back to mind from shows of that time. The Single Guy. Was that a British show? The Single Guy was not a British show. Okay. But it was a um, Friends ripoff. Right. That's okay. We also had that, obviously, too, because we kept trying to replicate the success of Friends for a while, too. And I believe we gave Ming Na a shot there. We did. We did. Yes. And, and the, the whole the whole crux of this era of TV, um, Chuck Klosterman talks a bit about it in the 90s, um, his latest book. Uh, basically, like anything on TV at that point was watched not because like we were seeking it out because of streaming it was watched just because you left your tv on and most hits like like a show like this if you put a show on after friends it would get like 20 like 5 million viewers just because like 
only 10 million people like decided to turn their TV off after Friends, you know? And like, <laughs> that's why shows that lasted a season, uh, shows that nobody fucking remembers, like had more viewers than like the Game of Thrones finale times three. Right, right, right. The show Working, which I was a fan of at the time, survived for a while, I think based on this principle. But I know Fred Savage is among the most canceled of current celebrities right now. So <laughs> this is my way of being timely with this conversation. Um, the thing that also used to happen back then was um, they would just decide to move a show because they were like, it's getting good enough ratings. What if we moved it to another night and used it to lead into another show we want people to watch? Forgetting that, I don't know. Most people don't know that this show that they used to watch on Thursday, just like, you know, like after Friends or, you know, like after whatever else they were watching, is now all of a sudden on Tuesday fucking nights. Like you'd have to have TV Guide or you'd have to be watching that network regularly to see commercials that would tell you that the show that you used to watch is like now moved to a Tuesday. It's painful. And by the way, when when a show moves like that, I feel like subconsciously you know this means it's not as cool anymore or this means like 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 it shifts like when something is on Thursday the night you really love watching TV and then it moves to Monday or something you know you when it moves to the touch by an angel portion of the week you know it's not as cute anymore I will say Mondays for a bit was a Melrose Place night right no it, I believe totally Mondays are a bitch who I think was the um tagline so you know sometimes it was cool prestige like melrose place has oh the emmys melrose place uh racked up <laughs> melrose place deserves a lot of emmys i'm yeah. gonna put that out there i'm gonna put that out there uh we're also gonna talk about the tony awards yeah they threw the razzle dazzle on for us wasn't that nice broadway is back i feel like <laughs> how many I, times I, do we get to say that <laughs> over the past three years <laughs> <laughs> when you um, when you step off a subway um into Times Square, someone just whispers into your ear, Broadway is bad. Yeah, it's like Slugworth. Yeah, they're, they're like, go see Chicago. You're like, who's in it this week? Well, <laughs> remember the single guy? <laughs> because Him. Ming-Na yeah. is Belva <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> By the way, you know I'm seeing Ming-Na in Chicago. Don't even threaten me with a good time. Uh, and uh, speaking of a good time, I love the, I love the segues. I missed our segues. Yes. Um, Rebecca Black is here this week as our guest. And that's really wild to me because this podcast comes out on Wednesday. Right, which it's going to confuse the viewers. Oh, my God, this, this dovetails with our conversation about days of the week so well. Um, I'm really worried. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. We get canceled uh, this week. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm jet lagged and um, I'm ready for a fun episode. I will say Primavera Sound, the music festival that I went to in Barcelona was fantastic. Um, but... I'd seen most of those acts before. The act that I got to see finally was Jesse Ware. And oh. iconic. She ate. I, I she ate in like she... a in long pants and like a dress shirt and a ponytail. Ooh, chill, relatable, etc. Um, I bet she sounds exactly like she does on record. 
She does. She does. She sounds even better. Amazing voice. She did basically the entire deluxe album, um, which, as I recall, you said wasn't disco. I do tend to fall asleep to it, yes. Uh, I, I think she's talented. I just prefer the older Jessie Ware. I prefer running era Jessie Ware. Do you know who I she saw for the running. first time? I saw um, she played running for the first time. Talk about people who sound exactly like they do on the record. They were fabulous. And they're going to be taking uh, over this summer via the Fire Island soundtrack. So uh, Muna is iconic. Muna, I met at WeHo Pride and Naomi in Muna. Um, she and I had a whole convo about how Muna needs to come on and keep it. Okay, good. Well, we're both on the same side in that argument. So should happen, yeah. ultimately. We're gonna make it happen. We've DM'd about it, and I did. They, we have already addressed the fact that um, they did not do the bridge to sometimes in their cover for the movie Fire Island, but which is very controversial, by the way, because that's a strong bridge. I they, they apparently they just didn't have time to, but I oh, think weird. it works. In the, I think it works in the context of the film. Definitely, because the the song kind of stops and then picks up with a power chorus at the end, which is very appropriate, but. Anyway, the, the the Max Martin branded emotions really culminate during that uh, bridge. So the bravery of leaving it out was, you know, it's like Prince leaving out the the base of when doves cry. Ultimately, it was a genius move, but it could have been disastrous. Hmm. You know, um, I think those doves were crying enough. Right. No, they didn't need to cry anymore. Okay, you know, I don't know where you're going with that, but OK. When doves keep crying. That's when I get scared. <laughs> Stop it already. <laughs> All right, we'll be back with more Keep It. The 75th Annual Tony Awards were held Sunday night and hosted by recent Academy Award winner and, more importantly, recent Keep It guest, right. Ariana yes. DeBose. The big winner of the night was A Strange Loop, which won for Best Musical and netted Jennifer Hudson her EGOT. All right. We talked about competitive EGOTs before, um, but, you know, she's earned this EGOT. This is how Whoopi got her EGOT. Um, she's in it. It's it's crazy, by the way, that it's still only the 17th competitive EGOT. Like, you'd think we'd be in the, like, 30s or something by, by now. But yeah, Jennifer Hudson getting this uh, production, Tony, is very exciting. But I just want to say, when there is a new EGOT, they should there should be like a celebration of some time. I don't know, like like Rita Moreno should knight them with a foot tap <laughs> on either shoulder. Right. I just saw it on um, Twitter. You know, where people like texting me like articles about it, and I'm like, this should have been. You, you you know what it should have been? It should have been like that fucking awkward moment at the Grammys where remember when they <laughs> remember when Trevor Noah was like Beyonce stop what you're doing you're about to be the most you're about to win the most like Grammys or something like there when Beyonce was like where is Julius where's my bodyguard <laughs> am I gonna have to shoot Trevor Noah but it should be a moment like that you know like the producers especially at the toadies which is like the faggiest award show yeah. Um, they should know if someone's about to EGOT. So, like, there should have been bells and whistles. 
Definitely. Especially since, by the way, there are so few living EGOT winners. You got the Lopez's, you got your Go- Whoopi Goldberg, et cetera. But for the most part, Jennifer it's people and like- um, Mario Lopez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when Mario E got it for <laughs> interviewing Maria Menounos on Extra. Um, no, but it's for the most part, it's people like Helen Hayes and Richard Rogers and et cetera. So uh, to have living EGOTs among us is just a, a very exciting thing. And also, mm-hmm. I have the distinct feeling she's going to keep winning awards. So she's going to be buttressing this EGOT for the rest of her life. She could maybe win an award, an NAACP or something for um, that Christmas movie I wrote for her if New Line ever decided to make it. Oh, I've actually I'm just putting I that out there. completely forgot about that. And I'm happy you're um, bringing New it up. New Line forgot about it, about too. It. I love New Line forgot Ira. about it, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, speaking of things that didn't happen at the Toadies. You know who didn't show up? Angela Lansbury. <laughs> Listen. First of all, they threw her tribute or whatever, her <laughs> lifetime achievement to the pre-show, which was suspicious enough. And then she didn't appear in person or on video. And guess how I feel about that? Not good. Do you think she's mad at the Tonys? I think she might be ailing. It's concerning me. Mm. She that is too. 165 years old. And I say that affectionately. We brought this up during my keep it a couple weeks ago. This is a woman who was first nominated for an Oscar 78 years ago. I mean, I don't expect her to live much longer, but man, they really left a huge question mark on this occasion, which like haunted me the rest of the ceremony. Well, I have it on good authority that she is in glass onion knives out too. Okay. <laughs> She's, She's in Mary not. Poppins keeps <laughs> returning. Yeah. <laughs> Mary Poppins won't go away. That's the second sequel. Uh, um, also, um, Jesse Tyler Ferguson won a Tony for Best Featured Actor. So this is turning into an award show pipeline. True. Um, also, I'm particularly happy for him because we brought this up during our interview with him. He's routinely nominated against co-stars, sometimes up to three co-stars, like he was that one year with Modern Family. And so for him to take it over his two co-stars alone feels like a particular triumph for Jesse Tyler Ferguson. I will say that I could have predicted that he would win this award because I feel like the Tonys, more so than any other award show, even the Oscars, um, likes to reward the community and reward people who have been doing the work you know like it's rare someone's gonna get like a win for a breakout performance you know unless it's a huge huge breakout you know uh it's really got to be like okay you did this show but you're nominated against people who you know like have been like seasoned in broadway uh and so we're gonna give them the award you know like the what two people who i guess were sort of up for a thing like that would have been uh, the leads in MJ and A Strange Loop, and then Miles Frost won. Right, right, right. And he is so fucking good. Uh, it reminds me of a few years ago when uh, Rachel Bay Jones won for Dear Evan Hansen. The applause that rang out when she won for that role, which I'm not saying that's not a juicy role. It doesn't have good songs, but it's not... I, I don't I don't know. You don't leave Dear Evan Hansen really thinking about that role, but people were so excited she won. And you can feel that like 
palpable community thing whenever you watch the Tonys. That's also why I think the Tonys is probably the most guaranteed good time when you're watching an award show because you feel like you're really immersed in someplace specific. You know, I mean, like you would think the Emmys would kind of give you that, but I don't know. There's less of a less of a vibe and definitely less of a vibe with the Oscars, which, you know, they hand to sort of random people every year now. It's weird because I feel like the Emmys does we've talked about this but like the emmys doesn't really capture the feel of watching tv and it certainly doesn't capture the feel of like tv now you know yeah it's just sort of like trucking out you know like people who they want to give awards to and it doesn't feel representative of like all the shit we're watching and it's never really felt that way you know i felt sort of like disillusioned i guess sort of by emmy shit when like um and uh, like an Oscar, like an Oscar snob is always talked about, you know, like um, someone's going to be like, oh, this underrated movie or all oh, this cult classic, you know. But I just remember like Buffy, you know, like when that was like getting like lauded by critics, but it's on the WB and it's called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. When that wasn't even getting any fucking like writing nominations, it's just sort of like, what are we doing here? Like you're only nominating. They were only nominating for a while like the the big four, like the primetime network shows. And then it became like the Netflix shows, um, you know, like House of Cards and like those things and uh, Orange is the New Black. And then once, you know, Netflix started to lose its luster, it became whatever, you know? I will say about the Tonys, because they're always necessarily drawing from a smaller crop of potential nominees, you do feel like you get a sort of comprehensive view of what's happening on Broadway other than this year, you would really not know there is a gigantic performance of Funny Girl going on right now. <laughs> Sometimes when there are nominations for like best musical, I'm always like, you know what? There's room for everyone yeah. because everyone <laughs> gets nominated except the Tonys were like, you know what we're not going to do? Talk about <laughs> that show. <laughs> I mean, also in a way, like, again, I haven't seen Funny Girl. Um, I mean, I'm, I obviously know the... Barbara Streisand movie very well. Love K. Medford in that movie. You Love know what I will say, by the way, side but, note, uh, Oh, go ahead. I constantly always used to think Audrey Hepburn was in Funny Girl because she's in the movie Funny Face. Right. Iconic black little slip of an outfit. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, um, I think, again, I haven't seen this Funny Girl on Broadway or whatever, but I'm sort of glad they snubbed it because it it lets you know they aren't just giving everyone in the room a quote unquote, like fair opportunity. Like it's, it's not just publicity for Broadway. Like there is like an awards body that's thinking, all right, well we want to award the best stuff. This isn't the best stuff. So let's move it along. You know, even if it's a little awkward. I know. I mean, cause it's like no offense to, to being Feltzy, who I think is fantastic. Yeah. We of course um, love her. Yeah. But it really did feel like one of the more like craven, like money, like Tony grabs in recent history. Yeah. It was like, who uh-huh. was asking for this? Right. Now, I would rather see Jeannie Feldstein in a million other things than Funny Girl. It does seem like a strange match because you didn't, you weren't familiar with her as a singer. You certainly weren't, d- didn't want to pair this new singing talent with these particularly loaded and fabulous songs you know as as a first go so yeah it's just a strange outing altogether you know what i want for her i want to i want to team up with her brother i want to see her and jonah on screen together it's sort of like kate and rooney mara i'm like 
I keep kind of forgetting you guys know each other, even though you do remind me of each other in a certain way, too. Like, let's solve something here. We can do something together. And what's interesting is he's gone through such a weird and strange sort of like um, career um, that it's led to sort of like what I think is like a really beautiful place now. Like, I really like Jonah Hill as an actor. And I'd like for Beanie to sort of go on that journey, too. You know, I think she's Mm -hmm. figuring it out. Yeah, I mean, Booksmart, Lady Bird. I mean, the hits are there, you know. I'm not concerned for where she can go as an actress. Um, I didn't watch Impeachment. Did you watch that? I watched the scenes Annalie Asford was in before she came on Keep It. Right, no, that I watched, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but Impeachment was not for me. I am, I, 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 feel, I feel maybe like how some of the Brits are um, when there, when there's another when there's another fucking thing about the crown, I'm like, mm-hmm. I am tired of stories about Bill and Hillary Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. I'm happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, ti- I'm as tired of it as I'm tired of hearing about Kim Kardashian and this fucking dress. This dress that this dress now that people are like, oh, she damaged Marilyn Monroe's dress, and people are like livid about it online. It's like you didn't even know this fucking dress was still <laughs> around until a month ago. Why are we talking about this? It's like As cousin Oliver. Was... It's the cousin Oliver of pop culture stories. Yeah, it, I, I mean, I will say this: as somebody who loves like pop culture minutia and like could potentially, you know get into the world of caring about like antique pop culture things. Even me looking at this dress, I just think it's ultimately one dress she wore. I don't know. It's it, nor is it like the definitive garment she's ever worn. I think of all these like seven year itch and how to marry a millionaire and diamonds are a girl's best friend. And so it, it's just not that important to me. And it's only important in the context of its relation to a man, JFK. Right. And to that, I said, said no, <laughs> Time's up Time's on that. Up. <laughs> okay, wait, back to the Tonys. Um, I will say, without a doubt, actually, not without a doubt, there were two performances that were amazing. But man, that MJ performance, uh, I mean, I have to say, even if you're skeptical about the existence of the MJ show and a little bit mad at what's her name, Lynn Nottage, for being involved, um, that was the showstopper of the night. I mean, you watched that and thought, okay, that's a Tony-winning performance right there. It is one of the best musicals I've seen in years. It's it's just so fucking electric like, watching it. So I loved MJ the Musical. Also, I, I didn't realize that they were going to juxtapose Michael Jackson with a few of his mentory types, like Bob Fosse's a part of that number. Yeah. And the yeah, Statler the, what brothers. I really, what I really like about it is the show is about... Um, the people who influenced Michael from his father to Fosse, you know, to obviously Quincy Jones, you know, it really sort of like takes you on a journey of like what created him. Mm -hmm. But then also there was this other performance from a musical I was barely familiar with called Paradise Square. Jaquina Calicongo, this performance, she basically stood on stage, craned her neck at the audience and belted out notes at them. And eventually just a tear fell straight down her face it was as if it had been animated onto her face and everyone you could feel people grabbing their chairs you could feel people not breathing as she performed the song it was unbelievable and then when it came time to announce the winner for that category previously i had been very sympathetic to my girl mayor winningham which if you've not seen the 1995 movie georgia with jennifer jason lee you get a wonderfully sympathetic 
frustrated performance from Mayor Winningham in that. Uh, obviously, she's the best part of movies like St. Almost Fire. She's now with Anthony Edwards, her former co-star in the movie Miracle Mile. He made an appearance during the ceremony, too. I thought I was going to be a Mayor Winningham stan all night. Lo and behold, this woman came in and just blew the lid off the joint and in such a surprise. I just couldn't believe it. It's one of the, it, it's, it's now up there among the greatest Tony's performances of all time. I like, didn't get to see paradise where like when I was in New York, like I had, had plans to see it and then I was sick. Uh, and I'm desperately going to try and see it before she leaves. Uh, she was in slave play. Uh, I saw right. her in the Broadway production and I saw her in the revival of color purple. So like, I know that like, I know that she's got it. Uh, and I like after that performance, I'm like, I have got to see that. That is what I love about the Tonys, by the way. Um, it's what I used to always love about the Tony is like, you know, it was like a kid who was um, really in the theater, um, you know, like working on stage crew in high school. Um, and just like hoping to like live in New York, you know, and be a part of like this world that felt like it was like so far away from you. Right. Um, it's, it feels even like harder and like more mysterious, I guess, than like, uh, Hollywood in a sense, you know, cause it feels like it's just like movies are made everywhere. Like it's sort of like, it always felt like theater was in one fucking place. And like the theater that you did in high school was just sort of like, I don't know, fun and like big right. theater and like, until Unserious, you could, like and, yeah. and, and some of you would like. The, like one person that you knew would somehow magically make it to that world. Uh, but it was always watching those performances that just like you'd watch them time and time again. And it would be like this. This is like why I want to go and see theater and be a part of that world. And um, she was fantastic. Speaking of the color purple, it was presented to her by Cynthia Erivo and Danielle Brooks, obviously veterans of color purple. And that was awesome to see. They Those two in particular looked Amazing. So the three of them together was just an insane tableau. I want to say just about. Do you think Fantasia's got an EGOT? Do you think because you, you know that the Color Purple movie, right? It'd be so weird if she were bad because I feel like Fantasia has that convulsive passion thing. Like she can't help but pour it all. Like we're going to be getting like you think Viola Davis cries. This is going to be a, a a blizzard of tears. I was um, standing with you, Troy. Yes. Right. <laughs> oh my God! I want to hear more of your fences impression. Um, um, uh, uh, I want to say just about greatest Tony's performances of all times. Uh, first of all, Viola Davis doing King Hadley the Second, which is the rare play monologue you've ever gotten at the Tonys. Great. Obviously, you've got Jennifer Holliday doing Dreamgirls, a performance people need to see that needed to be basically shot to me on Twitter, and I like waffled about having to watch it. Is Grand Hotel. Have you ever seen this? Yes. Oh my God. I can't. It's okay. So this actor, Michael Jeter, who won the Tony for it, gives this drunken performance. And it's this like razzle dazzle song with arms up in the air. And like, they're welcoming you to the Grand Hotel. Guys, you have never seen anything like this in your life. It is so funny. So endearing. The audience flies to their feet. I believe Jane Krakowski is lingering somewhere in the performance too, because she was in that Mm -hmm. version of Grand Hotel. You must watch this. Grand Hotel Tony's performance. Oh, it is. It is. Um. I, I'm just filled with endorphins even talking about it. It's an incredible performance. That I would also offer Sutton Foster. Oh, um, please, anything goes. Drowsy please. Chaperone. Well, Drowsy oh, Chaperone, Chaperone, but also anything goes. But The Life, the 1997 Tony Awards performance when they do My Body, which will, if you saw the Bill Porter um, 
revival of it at Encores, um, which I'd like to forget about. Uh, watch the 1997 Tony Awards performance. That is fantastic. And I will never say no to Cheyenne Jackson's um, thighs in those short shorts, in those hoochie daddy shorts, <laughs> doing uh, Don't Walk Away from Xanadu. So I don't I don't believe we had thighs before that performance. I believe those were the world's first thighs. Uh, no. Okay. Faye Dunway saw those and she was shook. <laughs> no, she was like, she, right. She thought she did something in the movie Barfly and she was wrong. Uh, <laughs> Angie Cheyenne, Dickinson Cheyenne. saw <laughs> Cheyenne's legs and was like, well, damn. <laughs> <laughs> what did I insu- what am I insuring my legs for? <laughs> oh my god. Police woman. That's a show that's never come up on this podcast. We'll we'll reserve a moment for that in the future. By the way though, what did we think of the Sondheim tribute which was just clips of him talking about how inspirational he is and Bernadette Peters singing Children Will Listen because guess what children almost fell asleep for me. I I barely you could know stay through it. As we talked about with Sondheim, there've been not, there were 9,000 tributes to that man while he was alive. So imagine trying to do one that anyone is going to find interesting now. I guess that's true. But it, it just felt you, you would have thought like they would have brought a bunch of people on stage or something. Not that I don't just want to hear Bernadette sing, but there were a couple more options. I think that it's probably in his it's probably in his will. He's probably like, I'm sick of y'all. He's like, leave it alone. Stop singing, yeah. stop sing, stop singing my damn songs. And if you're going <laughs> to sing my songs, can you, can you sing anything besides children will listen? <laughs> Any, okay? Come on. I've got to sing something from Bounce. How about Madonna get her ass out there and sing more from Dick Tracy, which I fucking love. That is one of uh, his, my favorite Stephen Sondheim songs. I mean, he he put he, he put all his whips and chains into that song, okay? Oh, yeah. He went down to the basement. Yeah, and right. wrote that song. Okay, I'm he so happy with what dungeon, I've got. I want right, more. Yeah, he was in the sex dungeon writing them songs for Dick Tracy. Let me tell you oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Sooner or later, <laughs> I'm gonna flog you with this cat of nine tails. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with the Queen of Fridays, Rebecca Black. Keep it is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And (laughs) I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like 
basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. If you're listening to this show, then you were probably at L.A. Pride over the weekend and saw this guest perform on the main stage, unless you're one of our millions of listeners who don't live in L.A., but we're not talking about them this week. So please welcome to Keep It, the new queen of hyperpop, Rebecca Black. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the title. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about am, being at L- well, tell me about being at LA Pride first of all cuz we were both there and uh what your experience of it was because I am used to that chaos by this point I've been going for 175 years but someone like you a youngster I'm sure has to be gently traumatized by how much is going on at LA Pride. <laughs> Not I mean, youngster Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be 25 next week. Um <laughs> Honestly, I mean, it was not my first LA Pride. I, my first LA Pride, it's so funny, like as a young person growing up kind of around LA, like I'm not from LA, I'm from um, Orange County. And it was always this like big thing, especially within a lot of my friends growing up, like, like people would sneak into LA Pride. Like it was like the party of the season. And also, I mean, we were all a bunch of slightly underage people who may or may not have known that we were gay at the time but um it was like this big like fantastical event that I'd never gotten to go to until I was I think I was 21 was the first year that I went to the actual like LA Pride Festival and um and that was the first time I kissed a girl (laughs) so it's a very it's a very like prominent thing in my in my life and it was this was my first time going to actually work it and it was a very different experience um a a whole different set of emotions but i I love the place (laughs) i was gonna say congrats on your first uh queer experience being eventized like you literally (laughs) did it at the correct location i did it with i'm i want to say it was mid kimpetra set (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was like it was truly one of the best experiences of my life. Um and yeah. Um thank you to LA Pride for for that. But Ira and I talk about this a lot. There was a, I could yeah, this would have been 3 or 4 years ago. There was a time when you could not avoid Kim Petras in LA. You would go to like the ATM and she'd be performing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I mean she still is. She was there. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, What's also exciting is you performed at Coachella uh, because I'm very good friends with Ty Sunderland. And so I was at the Rebecca Black and Friends performance you did. You had Ty there. Vincent came out. Um, What is that like? You know, you know, like, you know, I think everyone is familiar with your music career and um, where you've gone. Like, What does it feel like to be at Coachella at this age uh and also like doing this kind of music i called you queen of hyperpop now but like how did you get into like i love this shit now you know was it like a love of sophie as a kid was it like um meeting newer people in the industry as you grew up yeah i mean the coachella thing at every every experience especially i mean this year has been so crazy because over the last couple years i know a lot of people have 
talked about kind of my story as like, now there's this reintroduction to who she is and, you know, all of these words get thrown around. And a lot of that, a lot of that time, like I was sitting in my house for, I mean, nobody was out, nobody was doing anything. So it was, it was this crazy, like unreal experience and like almost like a deja vu moment in a different way based on what I, what I went through when I was a teenager around Friday, but like none of that really translates into like a feeling of real life until you're actually there in the room and like testing it out. And I've done my first headline tour this year. I did Coachella, even LA pride. Like every time I get out there or like get to the event, I have just no idea what to expect. Um, And I've been really lucky to have such like insane experiences like that Coachella set really like I, I remember getting to the do lab and being like, nobody could show up. <laughs> I hope people show up, but like, I, there is a possibility that nobody shows up and I'm here like playing to 10 people and that's going to be fun. Um, but then do lab is secretly where it's at it at is. Coachella. It is. It absolutely is. And I've known that as like a, a patron of Coachella, but to actually do it and like see it be this like insanely queer, beautiful, fun, exciting experience. And to be able to give that to people was, was crazy. It was so, it's always so exciting to see, um, you know, just the response and to spot even one person like in a crowd, like knowing lyrics to whatever song it is, like whether it's Friday, whether it's the new stuff, like that is just a, it's an endlessly, you know, like mind boggling experience. It's interesting you bring up, you know, like this reintroduction because I feel like, yeah, my reintroduction to you was 2021 early like pandemic and i first of all i love your ep so much rebecca black was here uh i think it's fantastic uh and michael jasper is one of my favorite um producers working right now so uh (laughs) i really love he's gonna die (laughs) the work that you do have um but um you know i feel like 2021 people there's still the point where we're still sort of in our houses uh and this reintroduction happens uh and so it's sort of happening while you're you know like you said in your house how did it feel i guess you know you talk about people knowing the lyrics you know to your first song how did it feel i guess reclaim that with um working with 100 gex who amazing by the way as well and then like 303 on the Friday remix, who I fucking love 303. Uh, and they had like a resurgence in 2021 too. Mm-hmm. Big Frida, Dorian Electra. Like, did it feel like you were retaking control of your own story in the music industry? Definitely, in a way. I mean, I had had that idea to do the Friday remix for a long time because of that, like, hope that maybe it would feel like I got to do this in my own way and do it in a way that, you know, I maybe had some control over because I mean, I, I, I've told the Friday story a million times over and I, it's, it was something that, you know, like 2011 going viral then was such a different experience than what it is now. I mean, even now, like you have people everywhere on TikTok, whatever, going viral without really even realizing that it's happening or knowing that it's going to happen. I mean, just, you never think that something like that's going to happen to you. Um, and viral is like viral can be like a day and a half now. Yes, totally. 2011 going viral is like, we're talking about it for three months. I know. I don't, I I don't understand how much there was to talk talk about. (laughs) Um, it, it really was so different. And 
anyways, um, yeah, doing the remix was, was a really, just like the experience of creating it totally evolved the way that I felt about the song because I, to be able to like work with Dylan from, from hundred gags and, and send him stems and have him send me something back that I was like, Oh my God, this is so <laughs> sick. And have the same experience with Dorian, with Frida, with 303 and have everyone be so excited to be a part of something as well regarding that song. Like I felt like I had a kick me poster on the back of my back for, you know, a half a decade of my life, if not more. And so, um, it felt really, really just special to even make it. So like, I was obviously excited for it to come out, but just the process of making it, I feel like was so, um, like strangely healing for, for me. And, um, and like also a way, you know, you were asking how I got involved in like the hyper pop and kind of queer pop space. Like that was something that I had been just a fan of as like somebody who's grown up and evolved, you know, my own taste and gotten in endless rabbit holes of Sophie, of Gex, of, you know, all of these like Charlie, I mean, these iconic pop and in left of pop, you know, icons, um, iconic icons, whatever. But, um, you know, it, I mean, listen, I've seen the crash tour four times at this point. So, I'm so um, jealous. <laughs> <laughs> she's Charlie's going to get a restraining order at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just such a, it's such a, it was such a special thing to be able to like be so welcomed by the people that I was just so inspired by. Um, and, and yeah, it was just a, a really great it's cool to hear you talk about how much fun it is to collaborate because when you meet other artists, do you find that you rarely relate? Do you, do you feel like almost like an alien to them compared to how you came up as like a prominent person? Do you, are, are there people you've su uh, been surprised to find yourself really relating to and including their biographical story? That's a good question. Um, I mean, there's definitely... There, I feel like more and more and more and more, there's no, the traditional way of like, you know, being kind of this idea that some person gets scouted as a teenager in a mall and then, or, or with a guitar and gets signed to a label immediately and is like in two months, you know, all over, uh, all over the world and touring and has adoring fans. Like, I think that is kind of, that isn't as much of a relevant story obviously anymore and everybody's experience is so unique and I think I think what I have been surprised to relate to or I don't I don't know if surprise is the right word but what I found myself relating to or, or people relating to each other a lot in conversations I've had um are just that like everybody has been doing this forever like people have been around whether or not you realized it or knew it forever and to find any like sense of, you know, recognition and, and to feel like people thought that you just kind of like, boop, now you're here. Like, I, I don't know if that's how people felt when I kind of had this reintroduction, uh, reintroduction, but like people spend years really, really working and, um, or, or just trying to develop like themselves into what they've, you know, become now, whether it's, you know, Charlie at the crash tour or, or whatever, like all these things are years and years and years in the making without them even really realizing it. And, um, I think that's something 
to relate to, but uh, yeah, everyone's story at the same time too. It's just, it's so different and it's fascinating to see where those things kind of line up. Uh, I was reading this um, great vulture interview you did last year about like your influences, um, you know, from like Madonna um, to Gwen Stefani. And I'm always interested in sort of like younger musicians um, because, you know, like, first of all, Lewis and I are gay as well. Like we grew up like in the period that we grew up and like we there's overlap, obviously, with our pop stars. But, you know, it's interesting because I feel like. You know, I interviewed Lil Nas X once for um, Entertainment Weekly, and the Britney that I was into was the very different era than the era he was like, this was formative to me. And that era to me was, you know, like, okay, I'm already like in my early 20s, you know, sort of like going to bars already. So like when you think of like pop icons, you know, and like queer pop, pop icons too, like who are the people who inspired you and sort of like, what were the eras of music of them that also really spoke to you? Because, you know, I have to imagine, like, Baby One More Time is something like, it felt almost like an oldie to you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was two. Uh, iconic. Um, but still a classic. It's still a classic. I mean, it's so, it's so funny. I mean, there are definitely... I, I even have this experience with with people who are younger than me and hearing, you know, from my brother and my brother's girlfriend who are a few years younger and their experience of pop or, or music or the internet is so different. And like I have a, a seven-year-old sister and I'm scared to even know what that means to her. But um <laughs> but um iconic, iconic eras, iconic eras. I mean, my first ever album that like I listen to every day all the time first couple of albums would be uh the britney spears toxic album in the zone um hillary duff metamorphosis okay or not your album (laughs) 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 um i mean it's it's funny because there's also the internet so like i spend a lot of my mm-hmm. time going back and like that's i think the madonna that i appreciate like i mean we were already at like four minutes madonna by the time i mm-hmm. really was understanding who she was but now like some mm-hmm. of my album my favorite madonna albums are like most iconic inspirational albums are like ray of light like i didn't even exist really but i go back and i watch those tours i watch i i watch her and and it's just so inspired by her um and but probably one of the most like formative ones that I remember real time, really just like being so enamored with with what she did. And that was on it was around the time that I think Friday would have been around was um was like the Gaga Born This Way album. Mm, of course. Um, yes. That was like prime, like 13 year old me, like singing it in the car with my mom and um just so like enamored with every performance that she did, every everything that she did and obviously like that has kind of transcended itself um also it must be said about hillary dove she had an album sometime after that called dignity which was kind of her kylie-esque it's iconic it's she had a a song called stranger on that album that was really really good i wish we kind of got a little bit more of that hillary (gasps) dove not that i don't enjoy her now true i feel the same way about Lindsay lohan i'm like rumors oh please that's a song and I still listen to that. The, <laughs> so. the amount of times that I put on um, 
daughter to father um is probably i probably should talk to my therapist about it uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, remember when she had that song from herbie fully loaded that was i want to come first Lindsay, that is awfully suggestive <laughs> Ah, she's amazing. She's so amazing. <laughs> I loved rumors. I also heard a rumor. Wait, have we talked about this on the show, Ira? That Michael Jackson secretly wrote rumors. By Lindsay? Yes. And if you listen to it, it kind of sounds like one of those oh. 2000s Michael Jackson rage songs. It kind of makes sense. I don't know if this is true. It might be on, it, it might be completely false. It's a rumor I've heard. I mean, it would be in the credits. If you look on yeah. <laughs> He would be there. Rebecca, you're like a detective. Yeah. I'll find out before this podcast is over. <laughs> we find out Michael uh, Jackson was writing rumors under some secret name. There are two uh, Jacksons on here. That's the, it's something like one of his cousins or something is credited <laughs> on it, but he secretly wrote it. Okay. Because, okay. you know, Michael Jackson would be somebody who might ghostwrite a thing or sure. two. That's my, this sure. is, I'm not in the business like you, Rebecca. This is me speculating. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I love, a, I love a rumor about rumors, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, well, tell us, what, what, what are you up to for this summer? What are your plans? What are you most excited about? What's thrilling to you? Um, well, I have a few more prides that I'm doing on this kind of like a makeshift pride tour. Um, I'm I'm in a couple of weeks. I'm going to Chicago. Um, I'm going to Minneapolis, uh, Tulsa, and um, and then home of Hanson. Yes, yes, icons. <laughs> um, and and then uh, as I as I get back, I just finished an album. I finished my first album. So, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of work to be done there before it comes out. But uh, I'm really, really excited about it. Who did you work with? Like producer wise who you can say yeah um i worked with some some newbies and some oldies you'll definitely if you're a big mika jasper fan you'll see him all over that um mm-hmm. i worked with some people that i don't know if i want to share yet but people that mm-hmm. um i michael jackson michael jackson ghost wrote yeah. a song <laughs> actually yeah. it was michael jackson <laughs> Ooh, Rebecca, you sound so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, God, uh, but yeah, there, it, it's a, it's definitely like one of my most. I think I mean, it's definitely the thing that I'm, I'm the most proud of uh, that I've ever made, and and um, some some really cool, some cool people that got to be a part of it. But anyway. One thing I want to say that must be so exciting too. I just you know I just work for a queer artist who is sort of. Um, you know gaining traction um i'm friends you know i said i'm friends with vincent as well and um i find it's so exciting to be i guess in this new era where um we're seeing a lot of younger queer artists being able to go from like pride to pride and sort of like introduce themselves to other gay people because i feel like when Lewis and I were growing up, like it would be um, the Pointer Sisters, right? It would just be a legacy <laughs> act. Yeah, that is so true. And now it's like so like lined with new young queer people. Totally. Yeah, I mean, it's so not to like you know kiss LA Pride's ass or any of these prides. I mean, you would hope that they're including queer artists in their lineups, but um, but it's just really cool to get the opportunity and to be recognized and and um, and to see that like queer people are really really connecting with other queer people and and those words and that art and I, I just hope to see 
more and, and more of it. It's super cool. Uh, well, thank you, Rebecca, for being here. I have one last question. Sure. What is your actual favorite day of the week? Yeah, if you had to pick one, you know. Like an actual one. Historically, I feel like I've said a Saturday, which I think mm-hmm. would be true. Um, I also, funnily enough, like a Tuesday, I think is a pretty good one. Um, Friday's Tuesday used to be Buffy Friday. days for me. Buffy used to come out on Tuesday, so I historically love Tuesdays. I, I agree with like a Saturday or something, because I want to say that growing up now, Friday, a very bad day of the week. <laughs> To be honest. Oh, I disagree with that. I disagree. It, it, well, it's a fun day of the week, but it's the you worst can't be day of the disappointed week to have by the weekend yet. Yeah, it's the worst day of the <laughs> week to have true. a party because everyone is tired, and that is when you get the most cancellations oh. on a Friday night. Well, people, just, yeah. I mean, things are different for the high schoolers. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I I think Saturday is a really good day. I love Saturday night. I love a Sunday morning. Um, you know, but it all it all changes. <laughs> Okay, Saturday night in the Sunday morning is yeah. is gay culture. That, like, to be honest, hours is very good. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Rebecca. I'm looking forward to the album. Uh, and thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. This was awesome, guys. Yeah. What a pleasure. <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe you brought up that Michael Jackson rumor thing. I'm gonna be as obsessed with that for like literally the rest of my life now. <laughs> I, I, I literally, I'm like, I feel like somebody told it to me, and I'm like. <laughs> I had this thought, oh, am I not supposed to say that? I'm like, I, am I, I'm not in a universe where I protect Michael Jackson. No, yes, I'm just saying it. Yeah. Yeah. Paris is coming for you. Paris, yeah. Paris <laughs> thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. Uh, take care. Yeah, yeah, you too. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Lewis, what are you mad about? Well, I thought I would do something brand new for this podcast and bring up awards. Um, My Keep It goes to not all the new Grammy categories, but one in particular. Let me bring up, optimistically, the ones I enjoy. Songwriter of the Year, non-classical. I've always thought it was kind of weird at the Grammys that there's just one award for just person which was uh, Best New Artist. So I like adding Uh to that canon. Best Alternative Music Performance. Yes, I would like Bjork to win a single Grammy. So let's throw that on there. Great. I think Um, that's for Avril Lavigne. (laughs) Alternative. (laughs) Man, do I miss that definition of alternative. (laughs) I go to the mall stores on that side of the aisle. Uh, Not not the normal mall stores. Best Americana performance. These are all things I enjoy. Best spoken word poetry album. Um, Come on. I'm going to throw that one to the Indigo Girls. I don't know what they're up to. What I really am worried about is best song for social change. 
this sounds like an award they add to any number of like super corporate award shows to get Mm -hmm. like an artist to show up. You know, we invented this award so that, you know, name an artist. Uh, 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 Ed Sheeran, you finally show up. Justin Bieber, we really love how you reached out to the, I don't know, Native American population with your new song. So we're going to give this to you so that you come and accept this award. Where is the love is so mad that this award didn't exist? (laughs) (laughs) When Fergie and JT came together to solve every problem and succeeded in the year of 2003, yeah, here's my thing about songs for social change. One, I mean, what is the metric for this award? Are we measuring the social change on some social media? Are we, I guess my feeling is the songs that have actually made social change occur aren't often explicitly about social change. I think about a song from the 50s like Rock Around the Clock, which, you know, became sort of anthemic for the new, the, the Bobby Soxers uh, and sort of got the, uh, the percolations of rock and roll going. Uh, I just don't think you can measure social change in a song against other songs about social change. And I think it feels strange and largely ignoble. And I just don't want to hear the efforts of people trying to win this award. I think it will sound pretty contrived. I will say that I don't think rock around the clock would win an award for social change. No, that's I agree. <laughs> you wouldn't even think. Uh, I do think Kate Bush is going to win Best New Artist, though. Oh, that's very funny. Um, <laughs> I continue to be thrilled with the Renaissance for her. I think we should be whispering more artists from that era into the ears of impressionable youngsters. I just want to go up to a Gen Z, you know, gay kid and say, Suzanne Vega. <laughs> when is Taylor Dane's time? I no, we we can get serious about this. Taylor Dane, if if you go to like a pride, and I mean a pride anywhere, I'm talking Toledo, Ohio. I'm talking anywhere. <laughs> There's a good chance Taylor Dane sh- Taylor Dane's there, and you think to yourself, well, she had that one song. You know, maybe if I run into her while I'm wasted or something, I'll watch the performance. Guys, she could be performing in a parking lot. She could be performing on the roof of an abandoned 7-Eleven. Taylor Dane will knock your fucking socks off. She's like the bang for your buck pride icon. So if she's around, see Taylor Dane. Love will lead you there to Taylor Dane <laughs> at Pride. To the Toledo Pride. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. My keep it this week is I'm going to flip it around and do a keep it up this week. Oh my God. If listeners don't know what this is, we did a thing once upon a time. <laughs> The reviews were negative, where we did a positive keep it up. Ira is reviving this controversially. I think that the idea of Lady Gaga being in Joker 2, directed by Todd Phillips, opposite Joaquin Phoenix, and it being a musical, is the best thing to ever happen to cinema. Okay, the number one thing. Wow, you're saying yeah, over say the invention of sound. Yes, this this would bring the people together like Madonna thought music would. Okay, oh, right. I am talking about incels who love the original Joker. I'm talking about film bros who like to argue that the Joker is actually good. Uh, I'm talking about little monsters. I'm talking about the gays uh, who just love trash movies. 
musical enthusiasts, people who really love The Hangover. This, this is gonna do it. This, this is this is world peace. This is Nobel Peace Prize. Joe wow. Biden, thank you. <laughs> Ultimately, he's responsible. Okay. <laughs> I do have a couple thoughts about this. One of them is, I will say, and the thought of um, Jared Leto as the Joker is still fresh on my mind. In regards to Lady Gaga performing as Harley Quinn in this movie, it's not really a role you can overact. So I'm going <laughs> to encourage her to take it. <laughs> also, I want the like Margot Robbie stands to be like versus... Um, Gaga stands about why the fuck does Gaga get on the track to get an Oscar for playing Harley Quinn when Margot Robbie was turning out her best work in The Suicide Squad and in Birds of Prey. My friend Elise tells me that I would be very surprised by Birds of Prey, that it was way you better than people Birds gave of Prey credit still? for. Uh, it's no, good. Um, it's honey, really good, Louis. I was I was doing my literature. I was I, I was doing my. We were locked things. in the fucking house. <laughs> <laughs> Birds of prey dropped early pandemic. There was nothing to do. I'm still you were busy playing every- Griplash. That's true. I'm still sneering at everybody involved in Bombshell. I'm sorry. Margo, you're you're among the ranks. Uh, Rosie Perez is iconic in this film in Birds of Prey. Okay, I think you would love it. Okay. I mean, obviously, the stench of the the last Joker movie, which was, as all of Twitter agreed, the we live in a society movie. It was um, abysmal. It was abysmal. Yeah. It was it was um, someone did meth, watched all of Martin Scorsese's films and then scribbled a ransom note. And Todd Phillips shot it as a film. Correct. As my friend Devin Field said, it's basically just a movie about asking, what if the Joker smoked cigs? That's basically what the movie is. Um, But also, um, I made this observation on Twitter yesterday. Sorry to repeat it for anybody who already read it. But adding a violent brat with pigtails in the sequel, we already did this. It was called Problem Child 2. Okay? Stop stealing (laughs) from classics. Listen, I thought only two movies could save the world. And it Uh seems like we're going to get both in 2024. 2024, 2025. Joker 2 and Paddington 3. Oh, are we getting Paddington 3? Paddington 3 is being shot next year. And it is called Paddington in Peru. Okay? He's had enough enough of these white people. He's going back. (laughs) To the motherland. <laughs> With his marmalade. <laughs> and he's speaking Espanol. Finally being himself. Okay. I like him retreating forget, to South America just like Hannibal Lecter. People forget that Paddington is a bear of color. That's true. <laughs> Sorry. I have to pass away. Um, <laughs> bear of color oh my god and also by the way we're getting that barbie movie too so the margot robbie stands should be fed eventually oh my peruvian bear (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that's so funny unfortunately Uh, all right that's our episode um thank you to rebecca black we'll see you next week Keep It is a Crooked Media production. 
Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Fertel. Our editor is Charlotte Landis, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Nara Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for our production support every week. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com.